Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and this week my conversation is with Sarah Gancher, who has collaborated with the husband and wife team known as the Bengsons to write the book for 100 Days, a new musical inspired by the three-week period in which the musical duo met, fell in love, and got married. The show, which has been directed by Ann Kaufman, is now playing at New York Theatre Workshop, whose history with genre-pushing musicals includes Rent, Once, Hadestown, and David Bowie's Lazarus. Hello, Sarah Gancher. Welcome to Stagecraft. Thank you so much. Um, we start off these conversations by just filling our readers, in, our listeners in a little on what the show is about. So could you tell them what 100 Days is about? Sure. So 100 Days is a musical um, with music and lyrics by the Bengsons, who are a husband and wife uh, rock band. And 100 Days is about the three weeks between when they first met and when they got married and about the very real and very um, intense fears that uh, both of them had to overcome in order to take that leap, Um, you know, fears rooted in, uh, in personal history as much as also, you know, sort of larger existential fears, I guess. Uh, so it is really, it's a theatrical concert. Um, it's sort of a blend of storytelling, uh, some very, you know, light amounts of uh, scenes and a lot of like really great and amazing music. And when and how did you come into this project? Yeah, I came onto this project, I think, about um, two years ago and change, perhaps. Uh, I got match made with the Bengtsons by Ars Nova mm-hmm. for a different project, uh, which is actually going to be coming out in the spring at Ars Nova uh, called The Lucky Ones. And that musical is a little bit uh, like the dark prequel to 100 Days. It's kind of about, like, why did why did Abigail have such intense fears about um about falling in love and about uh letting somebody into her life in such a an intense way so it's a that one is a a family story it's uh very dramatic it's going to be completely different it's got like a huge cast and so forth whereas uh 100 days is really just sean and abigail center stage uh with their band uh it sort of is the story stripped down to the the bare minimum of what we need to tell it um in order to just sort of focus in really tightly on them, their journey, their story, their their music. Uh, so, I well, anyway, th- that's sort of a detour that I'm taking on the way to saying that um, <laughs> uh, as a result of working on Lucky Ones, I did a ton of interviewing Sean and Abigail. We grew very, very close. They moved in across the hall from me. We oh started gosh. talking about all the different <laughs> things we wanted to work on together. And so uh, when it became clear that their musical 100 Days, which they had been working on uh, in various incarnations for a couple of years already with Annie Kaufman, uh, was going to continue to have a life, uh, they asked me to come on board and become the book writer. And I was very thrilled to do so. This is totally biographical. I mean, this is really looking at their 
relationship during that intense three week period. Yeah, I mean it's it's not documentary. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There there are uh there's like little ways that we've um there's things that we've left out, you know, there there's things that we sort of have shifted slightly for purposes of storytelling, but it's absolutely is a true story. So what was your role in this? They already been working on it with the director Annie mm-hmm. Kaufman. They lived it. What was your role? Yeah, it's really interesting. I seem to have um, a part of my career that is doing exactly the type of thing that I did for 100 days um, for various projects that are created by groups of people, like uh, usually sort of devised projects or uh, projects where there are multiple authors where they've been working on it for quite a while and have maybe gotten a little bit lost in the woods. So 100 Days when they started out was like a full book musical. It was like through sung at certain points. Sean and Abigail were in it very little. There were like a bunch of um, musical theater actors playing fictional characters. Like it was an entirely different show. Hmm. Then, and uh, they got feedback from that, that basically people were like, we love the music and we're connecting to the story. But the most interesting part of this is Sean and Abigail. So Sean, Abigail and Andy decided to strip it way back, do it with the absolute bare minimum of speaking, basically, and uh, and sort of figure out what a version of it with no fiction, just Sean and Abigail and like maybe three pages of dialogue might look like. So they tried that. Um, the consensus was sort of like, that's not quite enough story. We need more of that. And that's the point at which I came in. So basically I was like this is very clearly a personal story to you guys I think that what you're actually talking about is this period of three weeks between when you met and when you got married and let's start a conversation about what that time in your life was like I did a ton of interviewing them I did a ton of transcribing their exact words Um, I did a ton of writing that was intended to sound uh, as close as possible as I could get to what they sound like when they do their concert banter, you know, mm-hmm. like how they n- normally and naturally. So I did a lot of writing trying to match their voices already, mm-hmm. especially because they're not actors, you know, they're 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 musicians. Um, right. That they're they're wonderful performers and have been like growing all the time as as actors, but you know they they're um, they don't come to it with that that type of training. So, you know, trying to um, frame them in the best possible light has been a big part of this project and like a, a super rewarding one. So there there has been a lot of me being like, okay, you guys keep talking about like this diner that you went to. It seems like that was really important for you, but I don't really understand why. Can you tell me more about that? You know, why, 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 why? Until we hit bedrock, like, oh, you actually had a dream about that diner. Uh, before you ever met him. Okay, that's really interesting. That should probably go in the show. Like, um, sort of the things things like that. So I would say it's been a little bit of a, of a cross between a book writer and, like, a script doctor and, like, uh, just a good friend <laughs> and a documentarian. You know, it sort of is this weird sort of middle ground. But I really, really love collaboration. I love to work with ensembles and I love to jump into something where there's been a tremendous amount of material generated already and to find like what is the most satisfying story in here um so that's been part of it I'm also a musician myself Mm -hmm. um and uh 
sort of figuring out how um, text and music can work together is a very, very satisfying challenge for me. And it's um, always been clear on this project that um, sort of in a way, the fewer words, the better. We keep on sort of adding scenes or like adding large bits of narration and then figuring out it's too much. It's getting in the way of the in the way of the songs. So sort of doing the slimmest possible framing with the most satisfying narrative has uh, been another big big part of this process for me. Was the focus already on the three weeks when you entered the project or was that something no. that you brought? Aha. Uh-huh. No, that that uh that that is something that I that I brought to the table. It was um there's a sort of a story within a story here. There's kind of like a, a large sort of huge scale operatic sort of dream sequence in the center mm-hmm. where they they um Oh, this is maybe kind of a spoiler. I'm well, not sure. Um, they they make a they have a kind of a thought experiment about uh, if Sean was to um, be given a, a diagnosis where he was going to die within a very short period of time, how would they handle it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and so that sort of thought experiment, like dream sequence, like Fantasia, has always been a part of the piece. It's always been sort of the center of the piece. But like locating it firmly within the context of their lives when they first came up with the idea together was um, was a, a concept that we came to together when I came onto the project. When I uh, saw the show, I thought that basically it was about the fear that all of us have when you first fall in love and you you think. I don't want this person to leave me. And you're sort of looking at what's the worst thing that, that, that could happen. And, and it seemed to me that they both had different ideas of what was the worst thing that could happen to take this beloved person away from them. Was that part of the framework of what? Yes. I mean, I think it's always been a piece about overpowering fear. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been earlier versions of the show in which Sean really dies, you oh, know, dear. or in which in which the the man in in the piece um, actually loses his life. Um, and one problem with that in earlier iterations was, but we're looking at Sean, yeah, and he is alive, you know. Right. So that's been like one of the really big puzzles to solve of this piece is how do you how do you maintain. Um, you know, suspense and how do you build stakes when you're talking about the possible death of somebody that's right in front of you? You know, I, I think we're closer to solving that than we ever have been, but it is in a way an impossible task. How- you know, I'll, I'll say that, but I do think that sort of the, the question of the piece is not really about like, will he live or will he die? It's about how do we move through fear? You mm-hmm. know, when we are um, hit with the type of fear where, overnight the worst possible future seems very probable mm-hmm. um how are we to move forward with our lives you know how, how do you keep moving through it even when you're terrified with every step how much do they stick to the script the words you've written are they there as suggestions do they improvise or are they going word for word it's really different in different parts of the script. There, most of the script is very tightly scripted, and uh, there are large parts of it that are scripted in order to appear spontaneous. Mm-hmm. But there are some moments where um, we're sort of ad-libbing or just sort of making up 
uh, words along certain lines is like not only encouraged, but required, you know, and I think that in order to do the kind of journey that we're trying to do from uh, concert to storytelling to like immersive sort of theatrical experience, we, we have to have that spontaneity at some point. And also it's something they're really, really good at, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did this at Under the Radar at the public, we were in a thrust stage so that um, the, the audience just sort of felt much, uh, much. there was a much closer proximity to the Bankson's when uh, people were watching it and it felt much more like we were all in one space. Now at New York Theatre Workshop, we're in a proscenium situation and it also feels like uh, a certain amount of sort of spontaneity and improvisation is really important to sort of bridge that gap with the audience, you know, and be like, we're all here in the same place together. I think partially because they, as performers, because they're not musical theater performers, you know, they're rock musicians, they really feed off our energy in the audience, you know, they need it. So we have to build that bridge in order for the rest of the show to function, actually. Was it difficult for you to construct a a framework for them that made the show a theatrical piece as opposed to a concert? Hmm. I think trying to do something where we're moving from one type of form into the other has always been the really exciting uh, challenge of this piece to me. That's what makes it formally thrilling to me. I feel like it's pretty hard for me to imagine this particular story as like a traditional book musical. I don't think it would be that interesting. Um, but as something where we're sort of storytelling in the vein of like the moth, say, and uh, interspersing songs until finally the songs and the music start to actually take over, um, that that feels really um exciting to me and uh i'm realizing in this moment that part of why it feels exciting is that it is hopefully unexpected but if you are listening to this podcast <laughs> you will now expect no, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> is this your first musical no because you you've been working um with them on the lucky ones have you That's done right. musicals I'm... outside of working with the Banksons? Yes, I've done one other one uh, with uh, Rachel Chapkin's uh, company, The Team, which is another group of people that work together in a very, very deeply collaborative devising sense. I um, I was a writer on that show, which was called Mission Drift, um, which uh, played a bunch of places when the uh, Edinburgh Fringe Festival Award, which is like sort of the big award of the festival and um, toured to a bunch of different continents and ended up at the National Theatre in London. Um, so that one was with music by Heather Christian, whose uh, show Animal Wisdom is at the Bushwick Star right now and is stunning, and everybody should go see it. So so I already had uh, this experience of trying to craft a non-traditional musical uh, with um, within a devising or sort of collaborative ensemble where I am not necessarily the final word on text. And where I am using a bunch of material that was generated, uh, much of it before I joined the process, and where you are sort of trying to um, tone match various performers and characters that are sort of pre-existing and to find the most uh, satisfying narrative arrangement for them, and also sort of the most emotional situations. You just and you just continue to increase the degree of difficulty for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I love it. And I will also say that Heather Christian, like the Bankson's, is like an extraordinary performer who was also in that piece. And uh, like the Bankson's, she is one of these people that seems to have some sort of direct line to some kind of like crazy cosmic musical energy that is like 
uh, superhuman and stunning and incredible. And like the music is, um, I was in, not on the traditional musical theater spectrum so much, but is just like raw and powerful and emotional. I mean, the, her music and the Bankston's music is very different, but I think the same sort of uh, group of adjectives could be applied to it. They're, they're just like both extremely intense, extremely personal, extremely emotional. Um, and I think that I, uh, you know, it is my attraction to the music that has kept me on both of these projects. Uh, on, on all of these projects, I would say that I stuck with it through um, sometimes challenging collaborative processes because I love the music so much, you know, and mm. I'm sort of have taken to thinking about it as that, like, I might not be able to write a musical unless I want to be in the band. I was going to ask you, do you have any interest in writing a traditional um, um You know what, I totally do, and I actually think I'd be really good at it, not to, you know, might, <laughs> might not sound super modest to say that, but I, I you know, I, I actually am really, really interested, but I do think that I would, I would need to feel a similar type of connection to, uh, to it on a musical level like that so are you using because one of the things we haven't said is that you are also obviously an accomplished playwright so are you using different um, muscles when you writing muscles when you work on a musical and when you're writing uh, a play or is it all just writing I think it's all just writing but I will say that before I was a playwright Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I was in college and um, for a couple of years after college, I was uh, for quite a while laboring under the false assumption that I was a director of devised work. <laughs> so, you know, I was very, very into making up things with other people. But, um, you know, I sort of slowly realized over time that my favorite part of the process was actually sitting down um with the script of what we had generated in rehearsal the day before and like figuring out how to refine it and change it and make it into something repeatable. Mm -hmm. Um, So in a way, this type of, um, this type of work where you're just like constantly changing, constantly shifting, constantly searching for like, what is the final form of this uh, as a part of a collective feels really, really familiar to me. Um, It, it is different from my own playwriting work in that when I am doing my own playwriting work, I'm the last word and I really enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. But, but, you know, it's also a little bit lonelier, you know, because I'm sort of like the only person who can answer certain questions about, you know, characters, backgrounds or histories or, you know, um, what what is the sort of music we have to be listening to when we're, when we're thinking about this play or like, what do you think, uh, like, what do you think that this character would think about X, Y, Z? Uh, so it, it's it's nice in a way to be to be sort of a part of a, a larger group um, in in that way, in so many ways. But I will say that the that the muscle that is about um, taking uh, a bunch of unrefined material, figuring out where is the story in here, how can I make something um, that's going to be uh, an, an efficient and a theatrically thrilling scene um that's that's the same process it's just about um whether i generated the raw material or somebody else did are you guys because this is a a different uh venue for you are you having to tweak the play uh to accommodate just a different kind of audience 
Yeah, I think I think that's true. I mean, I think we're having to tweak the play to accommodate many different things. One of one thing we're needing to accommodate is that the Bingsons started working on this show and it's, you know, in its earliest form like 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. When they had very first gotten together, right? <laughs> and now they are, you know, they've been married for 10 years. They have a child, you know, they they have like a, a life together they finally have an apartment they were like road warriors that were couch surfing for eight years if you can imagine that yeah i mean they're like such incredible people they're magical unicorns um so obviously the same story has a really different meaning in their life now than it did at the beginning and it and it has a different emotional charge and it resonates in different ways for them so that's one way that we're having to change and then of course yes you know the new york theater workshop audience comes in with uh, different expectations and um, and a different set of interests than the uh, audience that Under the Radar did, you know. So so that's really interesting to me. I love that. Like I am not a person that believes that every play uh, is trying to achieve its platonic ideal form. You know, in my ideal world, um, I would be able to make a new version of every play and every performance for uh, a specific space, a specific audience a specific cast a specific time you know um now i mean obviously in a career sense you hope that you won't be able to do that (laughs) (laughs) but um you know i i i i strongly believe in making things for specific spaces specific audiences and, and specific bodies well this is um a a a very uh exciting different form for uh, the musical, and I think uh, people who uh, go and see it um, will be part of this sort of adventure. Um, and want to thank you for uh, your participation in making this venture happen, and uh, and and to thank you for uh, talking to us about it on Stagecraft. Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com.